Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Perry. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And on today's show, it is a Wednesday, which means we are going to dive into your best questions on all things the Oregon Ducks as we open up the mailbag. You can submit these in the future on duckterritory.com. Just either private message Eric or I, or, or simply just create a thread. Or if you, if you are a non-VIP subscriber, you can tweet at Eric Scopel on Twitter, and that will take care of that. And to get you on to the Odds and Audibles podcast and, and to have you able to, to read our message boards and to uh, drop questions for this podcast on the site, you can subscribe today, 50% off an annual membership. It's our 10-year anniversary, so we're offering this promo for the entire month of August uh, just approaching about halfway through the month. A lot of people have signed up. Uh, good good opportunity for you to save a huge chunk of change and support the podcast at the same time. All right, Eric, let's dive in. We've got a, a little abbreviated version of the mailbag, but still nonetheless some really good questions. Yeah, let's start with at DuckScribe. If Pac-12 football is canceled, how about the Ducks doing their internal season. Choose two captains who will select teams, then go green quacks and yellow O's. They shuffle players with new captains in late October, have a championship in December, Pac-12 will televise. This is an idea, and we should note that we're recording this prior to any news from the Pac-12 about whether the season will be canceled. So we can't officially sit here and say the season has been postponed. We've had a similar idea, I think, a couple of weeks ago about some sort of intra-squad scrimmage, and I don't hate that as a concept in terms of, like, getting football. I also don't know how realistic that would be. Um, And we should say that, again, we don't have any final word from the Pac-12, but the the term canceled is maybe, at least from what the expectation is, it's probably more likely postponed to the spring rather than a full cancellation. Yeah, um, I think this idea has been batted around in various ways, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, and, and granted, remember, like Eric said, we're recording this show before an announcement, so by the time this is released, we could know what happens. Um, but for the schools, let's just we, – we do know some conferences right now are saying that they aren't going to play. We also know – uh, a couple of schools individually have come out and said that they aren't going to play. Right. I think those schools should be able, and, and they're going to try and play in the spring. I, I think if that's the trajectory that we're going to go, I think you, you flip kind of the year commitments. So spring football now becomes fall football mm-hmm. where maybe they can, they can construct some kind of process where maybe for two weeks, uh, the athletes are in a bubble, you know, maybe the schools, uh, I, I don't know but f- how they would create the bubble. But maybe for, for two or three weeks in the fall, they allow like normal spring practices but be played out in the fall time. And maybe, maybe they incorporate a couple in- internal scrimmages. Now, the one thing I have concerns with is typically it's hard to scrimmage yourself rigorously, uh, you know, over the course of three, four, five, six, eight weeks. Um, you, you just don't have enough bodies to consistently do that and, and play like a true game 
you know, three times in, in five weeks or three times in seven weeks even. Uh, it, it's just really difficult because you have, let's just say, 120 players, 85 scholarship, and the rest are walk-ons. And even then, you're playing with now 60, 60 guys per team. That's fewer players than they would travel for an away game um, in conference. And so that's where I come in of how much wear and tear and extra wear and tear would that create if you do internal scrimmages over the course of a couple, couple weeks, uh, one time off, I could see it maybe happening. Yeah, I think it, there are some possible parallels here. If, if let's say that it's canceled, we're operating under the assumption that's the case, but if it's postponed to the spring of Oregon only had four spring practices in 2020, you obviously have the ability to, and miss a screen, spring game, we should say. Obviously, it sounds like there's going to be an opportunity to do some practicing unless that is also off the table and everybody is sent home, which I would think would be a mistake. But if there is a, if there is a continuation and we have almost a, a supplement, supplemental, you know, it's, it's, it's an added portion of practice, I don't hate the idea of doing a fall game. You know, I'm, I'm using the term spring game, fall game, but just having your scrimmage, your inner squad scrimmage, sometime in the fall, in October or November, and at least then you provide, and I think you could definitely televise that and probably not have too many fans of the games um, based upon what the state decides. But I, I, I don't hate that idea in terms of, like, it would be pretty cool to at least see the team perform and see what Oregon has. And, if, you know, if it's not going to be against other opponents, make it an inter-squad scrimmage. And I think one game probably makes a lot more sense than playing a full season especially if you are expecting there to be games played um, sometime in the spring because you would hate to play three to five games that don't really count and maybe you have a couple of bad injuries. We know the way football goes and you're talking about every player on the field is an Oregon player. The odds of an injury, I guess, kind of improve there because there's just more of them on the field. Um, you'd hate for that to happen. So I could probably, like Matt, get behind doing some sort of spring game equivalent sometime in the fall, maybe October or November. Um, but I don't know about doing a full internal season. I think it's a cool idea, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to get on board with it. Next question from at quack attack 74 within the next five years or so, could you see the PAC 12 expanding to a 14 team conference? If so, what teams do you think should get the invitation to join? I personally think Boise state and BYU would be good fit and bring competition to the conference hashtag odds and audibles conference expansion is always being discussed. <laughs> um, so this is not like a new question. Um, I don't necessarily think Boise state and BYU are a good fit personally. Um, and I think this is the thing that From gets a football standpoint. Here. I could maybe see it, but everywhere yeah. else. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is that that thing that gets lost here is where we start talking about this, like football is the only sport involved, but Boise state and BYU aren't going to be, sports the programs that really benefit you in other sports and academically i know boise state at least I, I think is probably a little bit off of what the pac-12 wants from its schools um right. i probably need to do a little more research on that um to, to kind of confirm that but it's more complicated than just like it would be fun to have boise state and byu fit in the conference which from a geographical perspective sure boise state's in idaho byu is obviously in utah probably could switch it up and have Utah BYU be the mountain road trip. And you would maybe do Boise state and Colorado as a, as a pairing as well. Um, when you think about how you would geographically pair them, but like it's more than just 
football. So I don't know if that's a fit. Matt, I mean, like, do you agree that like, I guess if we're just picking those schools for football and you're expanding to a pack 14 for football, which we should say, we do see sometimes like Notre Dame doesn't play in the ACC in football, but they play everything else over there. Right. Maybe, or maybe the pac 12 could adopt some sort of inverse of that where they play just these schools in football, but nothing else. But I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's a great fit. There's, well, there's, there's a couple things with BYU in particular. One are, Already the Pac-12 is inside the state of Utah. Yep. They're already getting the TV market with Salt Lake City um, and the Utes being in Salt Lake City. So that right there, you're already kind of eating into yourself. But then a counter to that would be the religious aspect from a national global standpoint that BYU draws. Is that big enough and a big enough draw uh, financially to offset you cannibalizing yourself already when you're in Salt Lake City already um, in that market. I don't think Boise State, while they are certainly a media darling and, and they were Cinderella uh, a while ago, um, mid-2000s, I don't know if, if their brand is one in which that is going to just move the needle. And we know Boise State is not a ginormous market, TV market. There's not a ton of uh, potential there to for that to, to grow really even so I, I don't think Boise would would be a fit um, I think if we see expansion in the conferences we could see one of the power fives dissolve and they get absorbed and we get like a power four um, I, I think that's where things are going and it it, it, it could be it could be two we could we could get a just like in the NBA, we could get a Western conference and an Eastern conference of, of made up entirely of power five schools. Um, or maybe it's four, four divisions um, and each divisional winner and, and maybe, you know, four other at larges make a college football playoff or what have you. Uh, or maybe it's just the four divisional winners. But I think that has a better opportunity of happening where the Pac-12, maybe they, maybe they go and, and they say, you know what? Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, we want you to come and, and, and play uh, in, in the Pac-12 and turn it into the, into the Pac-14. Or maybe uh, the old, what almost happened was Oklahoma and Texas coming west and, and joining the Pac-12 and turning it into the Pac-14. Uh, I think that's much more likely scenario, not necessarily Oklahoma, Texas, but um, the Pac-12 going out and finding – some other schools in a different market, or maybe it's the Pac-12 that dissolves and they, you know, they go and they morph into uh, a different conference or an entirely new conference is created. Uh, I think that's where we can see some, some shifting. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe the Pac-12 goes north to Minnesota and, and, and plucks uh, the Gophers and, and maybe they, they, they go Minnesota and uh, o- Oklahoma. And, and they add, you know, one team to the north, one team to the south, and you're in two markets where it's entirely new, and they're big markets, and and, and for the most part, football crazed the markets. My my thing here is, if you're going to expand, it has to be beneficial to the conference. And I don't know if adding BYU and Boise State do that. I think what Matt's talking about here is more of where you'd want to go, where you show you go big picture. Texas, despite not necessarily being quite as good as they have been 
historically in football and other sports are still one of the biggest brands in, in college athletics. And that would be a massive addition. Oklahoma is the same way. The big tens is the same way. And ultimately I kind of, I think I might've said this in the podcast before, at least I know I've spoken to other people about it. I think the concept of having four major power five conferences makes a lot more sense than five with the way you're going to set up a playoff system. And incorporating maybe you take the big 12 and you kind of split it with the big 10 and the pac 12 and again i'm not going to sit here and, and put together some sort of proposal for how it would work but that's 10 schools you got i don't know how you split it evenly but you can find a way and you end up with 20 schools approximately per power four conference and you play that out and like matt says earlier i think that's a more reasonable assertion for how expansion might take place i think um and maybe it, like what Matt said earlier is accurate too. Maybe they go two, two, two big conferences and then you have a real wild season. And I think the cool thing about splitting it up that way is think about the opportunity to just in a regular season, have a game at like Michigan or something, you know, you have to go to Ann Arbor right. and you know, that's built into your schedule, not as a non-conference. And I think if you were to go that route, you would get rid of non-conference altogether and you would just play your 40 or 50, whatever it is, schools in each conference. And you find some way to, to make scheduling fair, have maybe some sort of postseason championship game. And then yeah, play a four to eight team playoff series. So I know we've kind of gotten off track here, but I think there's a lot of cool ways to expand conferences and, and sort of even the playing field, change things a little bit. I don't necessarily think the Pac-12 adding um, Boise State and BYU would move the needle for me very much. It might in the, in, in the short term from a college football perspective be kind of exciting and different, but I don't know if it's really the big play long-term. Third question from at Altman Fever. How could a delay of the 2020 season help Oregon in any way? We are focused on the negative. Are there any positives with a delay? Hmm. You know, I think, I mean, if we're trying to think silver linings here, and of course, this is going to depend in some way um, with what is allowed from a practice perspective, but it's not an awful thing in theory to give Tyler Shuck and Joe Moorhead and this offense a little bit more time to get prepared. And if there is an expanded, extended fall practice, that's a, I don't know exactly how that's going to work, when that's going to start, what that would look like if they do play in the, sp in the spring. I don't think that is like – Worst case scenario, if you give your quarterback some more time against really good defensive backs on the roster, we should say, to kind of practice, figure stuff out, work on this offense with more head. Um, I don't think that part is like awful, but I also think there are certainly some negatives to weigh in here. And I should say, I don't know if I'm not going to even throw the negatives out here because the concept of this question was focusing on things that are positive. <laughs> Matt, what are some positives we can focus on before I start? Well, the, we know right now, we know for sure right now that the football program are doing these like modified walkthroughs um, it, with the entire team or the entire first offense, what have you. Uh, and so right now, Tyler Shuck and, and the offense and the defense and all of that, they're getting some kind of rep, whether it, it may, it's not full speed and it's not padded, but they're getting some kind of rep where, they're able to at least kind of walk through the play with a football, I believe. And, you know, they, they could stop at mid play and, and, and say, Hey, this is what you're looking for. Here's here, here's there, you know, check here, check here, check here in that order and then go. Um, so it's all going to be dependent upon 
what does the NCAA, Pac-12, uh, whatever, you know, the school, what do they allow and what do they not allow? I, I imagine if seasons are canceled or postponed till 2021, and again, reminder, uh, we're recording this podcast, you know, before the news has, has been released of, of what the Pac-12 is gonna, going to do. Um, but if, if they do cancel or postpone the 2020 season, I imagine they'll come up with eventually some kind of way to allow the athletes to continue to train on the football field in some capacity. It could be individual. It could be small group. It could be positional. It could be skeleton seven on seven, meaning uh, quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, tight ends, no offensive linemen. And then the linemen come in with none of the skill guys. Uh, It could be 11 on air, which means it's the entire offense practicing without any any defense being faced, uh, it could be uh, 11 on 11 uh, walkthrough type situation. Uh, it, it could be a wide range of, of things, but I imagine, I would think, I would hope that the NCAA comes up with some kind of guideline policy. And maybe that's a big stretch because we haven't had any leadership from the NCAA at all during this entire <laughs> pandemic yeah. um, of, Hey, if it's safe and if your state allows it, you guys are allowed to do these kind of workouts. You know, maximum amount of hours allowed uh, is blank. Um, and it's not a big number, but it's something. That right there gives guys more time to learn, go through the reps, and, and, and pick up things. I could see, you know, if, if that happens, the offense, even if Penae Sewell were to sit out the spring season, uh, I could see the offense maybe being further along than it would have been going into the start of the 2020 season this fall because they didn't get a spring practice and, you know, they were going to all of a sudden be thrust into a situation where in, in three weeks uh, they're going to be playing a football game that counts or a month, you know, six weeks they're going to be playing a football game that counts. And they, they had real no pr- preparation pr- prior to that. Maybe the fall is an opportunity for – a modified version of the equivalency of a spring practice period. And, you know, the offense can get better adjusted to what they're going to be doing within the program. And and if that doesn't happen, they have at least more time to to watch film and to dissect, you know, how they want the offense to to transpire. I think another way to maybe view this through a lens of positivity, if there is an expanded or extended fall practice, is you think about maybe the player development you would see from this exciting freshman class. Um, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, Dante Manning are are three five-star recruits who didn't have a spring to really prep. They've had a weird summer to get ready. Um, These are not normal circumstances. I don't think it hurts Oregon and those players' development if they have the fall in some capacity to get better, to build their bodies up. And when they do start, they're more physically developed and prepared to play. Maybe that's a situation where Justin Flo would have needed a game or two in a traditional fall, September start season to kind of get himself acclimated to the game. But because he's had a little bit more of an extended time in the program with the weights, you know, weightlifting, uh, getting to know Andy Avalos's defense, understanding his role, that he then is able to take another step or some of these other freshmen or young players are able to take a step. So I guess maybe from a player development perspective, there is certainly positive of, of, of extended, expanded practice, if that is something we see. Um, so I think those are a couple of positives of just like more practice time players should get better. And maybe that's the simple way of saying it. Um, and we, we could also see guys just continue to improve from a physical standpoint, guys sure. getting bigger, faster, stronger. I mean, those, 
weight training will continue no matter what um, in, in some capacity. And it's up to the players, no doubt, if they're not allowed to, to train at, home, at, at their facilities, but it's still up to them to, to, to do it on their own then. But it's still possible. And we still could see guys continue to improve their physical skill sets and become better athletes so that when they do start practicing, they're bigger, faster, stronger. And, and the other thing just on that same line here is, is, and I don't think Oregon is doing with that much of it, but guys that are dinged up or injured, just more opportunity for them to get fully healthy. A guy like Cam McCormick, who I know was rounding into form in the spring, probably he's not somebody that probably hates a little bit more time to get himself fully healthy and back into the swing of things. And I'm sure there are other players in the roster. Everybody's dealing with some sort of nicks and bruises. You know, a little bit more time for rest, I don't think hurts any of that sort of thing in terms of getting to full 100% health. Good question from Altman Fever there. I think some good conversation on some positive, some possible positives from a delay. Final question of today's show from at Josh Harden underscore four. Why are there so many football scholarships for each team? And does a team have to fill all of the spots each year? Hashtag aughts and audibles. Um, well, to start here, the team does not have to fill every scholarship. In fact, you probably don't hate having one or two sitting around in case there's a transfer or some weird prospect or somebody that becomes available that you want to offer. Um, Oregon did that. You think about last year, Devin Williams was somebody that they added mid season. They had a little bit of room to, to do that. Um, why are there so many scholarships? Because football is a physical sport and there's 20 players in and out of a program every four years. Um, you know, it's a, it, it is significantly larger and, and it is one thing where in terms of it's not ideal for our current standings because you think about how much more challenging it is to prepare for a season with what's going on when you have 85 scholarship athletes plus their entire support staff and walk-ons, you're talking about 120, 130 people. You look at like basketball, for example, and you're probably carrying 20 to 25. So um, certainly that's not super great right now. But in general, it's, it's just because football is a physical sport and guys get hurt and you need as many players on your roster to supplement that and to develop that too. Um, these aren't professional players and it takes sometimes a couple of years for them to get ready. And so you don't want to rely upon these freshmen, sophomore in college, who might not be ready. I mean, imagine if Oregon had half as many scholarships and they basically right. just had their two deep on offense and defense under scholarship. I mean, that's asking a ton for those guys to be healthy and prepared. A couple of those guys go down and you're looking at suddenly you had, you know, you thought, four, you know, five really good receivers, six really good receivers. Well, now you only have a couple and you can hardly feel, feel the starting lineup. So um, there is a lot of, you know, validity to carrying a lot of ta more talented players rather than, you know, like in the NFL where I think they cover or carry like 55. Now what's going to be interesting to see play out um, is what happens if the NCAA comes out and says that they are going to roll back scholarships meaning or roll forward scholarships, meaning uh, any senior in the 2020 season who chooses to just sit out and opt out um, the 2020 football season, whether it's played in the fall or whether it's played in the spring and they just want to come back and, and do a restart in the fall of 2021 for what would have been a normal 2021 football season. Does the, the NCAA allow schools to carry more than 85 scholarships? Because if they don't, all of a sudden now you're going to have teams have to make really tough decisions like, let's look at Oregon, for, for example. They have a very low amount of seniors on their roster for a projected 2020 football season. 
And I think the number is around 18 scholarships and they're counting on a couple guys going pro. And obviously uh, there could be a couple transfers that could, that could play out. Um, and that's how they, they're going to get to 22, 23, 24 scholarships signed in, in the 2021 recruiting class. But right now there are 18 commits. They have 18, I think, guys on scholarship from off the top of my head, not really checking that again, but right, right around there. Um, let's just say all of a sudden all those guys say, I want to come back. Well, Oregon has the fourth best recruiting class in the country, and now all of a sudden they could have potentially – five scholarships to give out out of the 2021 class. How are you going to pick who, who you take, who you give uh, and what, how, you know, where are these other players going to go? If across the board, a majority of the schools in the, in the country are only going to be able to offer five to 10 scholarships. I mean, it, we could see a huge paradigm shift of, of talent you know, basically being forced to go where a school has an open spot. It's, it's where things get real interesting (laughs) real quick. And, you know, uh, and that's, I think that's why you want to try to get a seat. I mean, and that's one of those other things of like, you can't, if you straight up cancel this season and like Matt says, you roll it, you roll those scholarships over. You've got, Oregon would have upwards of over a hundred players that they want to have on scholarship that they want to, you know, and that's not, possible under current NCAA guidelines. And I would have to imagine this is going to be one of those things where they're, they're going to have to make some changes in the interim. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see what those look like. Um, how do those benefit schools? Are they going to give an additional 25? What if they only give an additional 15 and that gets you to a hundred and then Oregon has right. to take some, like you said earlier, 18 recruits in this class right now. And there are mostly four and five star recruits. They want all these guys. They, they, they offer these prospects wanting them on the team suddenly, I don't know, it could be a deal where, yeah, you have to pick and choose between the bottom couple of guys in your recruiting class, and that could be some really strange and, and difficult circumstances. So, I mean, this is a lot of this is hypothetical, but you're right, there could be some really bizarre scholarship math um, in play at some point here when the dust starts to settle a little bit more. And, and let's just say, okay, well, the NCAA leaves it up to the schools. That's what they did in, for the spring. And yep. Oregon basic, and they, they allocated a little bit more of, of uh, the ability for schools to carry a little bit more scholarships. Uh, but football is an entirely different piece. It's, it's one thing where softball can say, hey, you know, we're going to bump your, your scholarship allocation. Uh, I'm just making these numbers up because I don't know the, the, the exact numbers for softball. But instead of having 15 players on scholarship for softball, we're going to allow you to have 18. Like that's, that's different. And that's a, that's a monumental shift. And, and, and highly impactful for the softball program to all of a sudden be able to say, we can have three more scholarship players in one season. It's entirely different of a number to go out and say, for football, we're going to give you 25 extra players. So you're going to go from 85 players to 110 scholarship players. Uh, that's a huge jump. So huge. that's massive. Uh, what happens though, if, um, they come out and they say it's the school's idea or it's the school's choice to honor these if they want to. Every school that comes out and says, sorry, we're not honoring your scholarship. You, you get to play somewhere else, but it's not going to be here at Oregon because we need your scholarship for somebody else. That is going to hang over them on the recruiting trail oh, yeah. 
for years to come because every school against them will say, look, if you're not up to snuff, they don't value you. They'll kick you out so they can bring somebody better in. And that's going to put, that's what's going to make things really difficult for these coaches is how do they they navigate those waters by getting the scholarships that as many as that they need, but at the same time doing it in a fashion that's not going to hurt them from a PR standpoint down the road. Uh, if it has to re- require a player not having a scholarship renewed. It's just, um, I think I said this when Kevin and I were talking about the new Pac-12 schedule and some of the difficulties of the decisions making they had to make then. I'm just happy I'm not the one making these decisions. And I'm, not, I'm happy that I'm not the head football coach at any of these schools where you have to have these tough conversations where you've spent months devoting time to these players and their families telling them, X, Y, and Z about how great they are and how they're going to fit with your program. But because of, um, you know, circumstances out of everyone's control, um, things shift. So, yeah, it is bizarre to think about some of this stuff. Ultimately, I think I'm hopeful that there is cooler heads prevail here and we find a way to honor the high, high majority of players from, you know, that, are, that, that would exhaust eligibility this season if it's canceled for the following year and that they would also be able to honor – members of this recruiting class because it would just be a real, I think it would be awful for all just these individuals to, to lose out on that because of something completely out of their control. And, and I think the NCAA has shown already that they want to work with the student athlete, at least in the spring. Um, and like Matt says, it's not quite, it's apple, not apples and, you know, it's apples and oranges, not quite the same thing here. Talking about three extra scholarships as opposed to like 20, 25, but I would hope they'd find a way to, to at least make things work for the high, high majority of them to have their scholarship in, in place because that would be pretty awful. I think from a student athlete perspective to, to lose out on that at the last moment. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast for Eric Scopel. I'm Matt Prem. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later folks.